I'm Lacey. And I'm Kippen. We're two friends who love to get lost inside a great story. And we're welcoming you to our own little book club. This is One Page More, a podcast. Okay. Hi, Lacey. Uh, Hello, Kippen. How are you? I'm good. We just spent way too long trying to figure this out, but we're going to do this now. And we have to record today because I'm really hoping you're going to have a baby like in the next two weeks. Um, I'm also hoping the same thing. So that would, I'd literally told Graham probably 10 minutes ago. I'm like, it'd be so convenient to just have this baby this week sometime. <laughs> this be so well, nice. I will start the prayer circle now and anyone who would like to can join me. I want to meet my little niece or nephew. Okay, so this week we read The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. Is that her name? Yes. Okay. Um, so right off the top, a little synopsis. This book is, uh, it's basically like a, a kind of a coming of age story a little bit. It's told mm-hmm. from the perspective of Lenny, who starts the book off as a 13-year-old. Um, she has a very dysfunctional family and it's set in the seventies. Um, her dad's a v- Vietnam vet. Um, and her mom's kind of like, a. she actually gave me like very manic pixie dream girl vibes. Um, <laughs> but anyway, her crazy dad ends up hauling them off to Alaska and everything that goes down there. And, um, I, I don't know. I don't want to give too much away in the beginning. So that's all I'll say. So I have to know what you would rate this book on one out of five stars. What are you giving it? All right. Let me preface this. Was it formulaic? Yes. Did it have some very cookie cutter characters who either were very, very bad or very, very good? Yes. Did I still enjoy it a ton? Yes, for sure. Um, So I thought it was a total page turner. I really... By the middle of the book, it really caught me up. And then some of the end of the book, I didn't love. I got to be honest. But I still would give this like a solid 3.5. And I've t- recommended it to several people already because I think that a lot of people would really enjoy this story. It's not an easy subject matter, but it is really easy to read. And I especially liked her just learning about Alaska. That was my favorite part, actually, just reading about Alaska. <laughs> so I, I so and I'm interested to talk about this now because we haven't even brought this up but I really I was really drawn to the end of the book I mean I I really enjoyed the beginning because I would say for me the book was more it was at least a four and a half like I was so drawn in by just the intricacies of this plot and I totally agree what was so interesting was obviously uh, it's the seventies. Uh, my my parents are both alive in the seventies, and it's just crazy. Whenever it's <laughs> some of the details and some of the, um, you know, the ways that they had to survive the harsh winter there, and it was just so like, wow, this is what I would imagine from like the thirties, but it's actually not really all that long ago. So. Yeah, yeah, I think because so much of it happens in like this rural setting, I actually forgot a lot of the time that they were in the seventies. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was no, it, it's almost like timeless because of that. 
Well, because they took away all of the modern conveniences that you'd really think of. You know, they're constantly using a little outhouse. They have no access to television or they don't have running water. Do they have running water? I don't think so. No. They had to bring their water in, right? So, I mean, like they had so many or the loss of so many conveniences of modern day living. Okay. Let's get to the spoiler part. (laughs) So, when it starts and I... I would say if I was going to make a movie of this book, I'd actually make Lenny a little bit younger. Um, But for the purposes of the book, it works perfectly that she's 13 and like super awkward and redheaded and her mom is so beautiful and in love with her dad. Um, And her mom really idolizes her father from before the war. Later, you find out that she had Lenny when I think she was 16, but it says her dad was 25, which again is a huge, like, yucky thing for me when I'm like, that is so gross. Like, of course, her mom feels this way. Like, she's been under this man's spell for most of her life almost. Um, I don't know. What did you think about the very beginning when they're still, I think they're in Seattle at first, but it, it, they get to, Alaska pretty quickly which I really actually appreciated no I felt the same way and it also was really kind of interesting because it kind of set this tone that almost immediately it talks about Cora who's the mom is pretty uh, beaten up pretty regularly by Ernst Um, and then it's constantly talking about like you know how that like the psychological damage that does on Lenny how they're constantly moving um, how there's not really a lot of consistency she's an only child she's kind of lonely her mom's really her only friend Meanwhile, it talked about so often her dad, all this stuff's going on in Seattle. And at the time it was, uh, was it Ted Bundy? And, all, you know, all these killings and whatnot's going on. So it's like there's so many little things happening right at the beginning to kind of like build up her character. I, it was, yeah, I appreciate how they immediately went off to Alaska. Um, I, I don't even know. I, I was so enthralled with this whole book. I'm like, let's just jump into Alaska. Let's start talking. <laughs> Yeah. Was there ever a better name for the dad character than Ernt? It's like this stunted, all consonant (laughs) name of like, and it's like, oh, yes, that is exactly your personality. Horrible trash can man. My poor little phone. I can't every time I would take a note and I would put Ernt, it just would not (laughs) recognize it. It changed it many a times. So, yes, totally, totally fit his personality. Even Lenny, I thought it was really cute. Like it was short for Lenora. Cora was short for, was it Coraline or something? Coraline, yeah. So they kind of had these, you know, they all could have been fancy at one point. Right. So, I mean, if you, if you know, like the bare bones of this plot, you could just kind of guess what happens for most of it. Like Coraline's from a rich, fancy family. She was, had a teenage pregnancy and ran away and was the wild child. Like, that all kind of just plods along, but living on communes and like burning bras at like Vietnam, uh, what do you call it? Protests. and Right. Um, so Ernt basically inherits some land from an old war buddy and he's all pumped about it. And they go a lot into like how he loves a fresh start because he really struggles with PTSD and, I think he probably just has some serious mental illness as well as PTSD, but he's like the consummate, horrible Vietnam vet. Anyway, 
I don't even know if we even mentioned it. It also said not only was he a Vietnam vet, but he was a prisoner of war for like six <gasps> years. Oh, yeah. So, I forgot about so that. It really kind of like built into like not only was he scarred, but he was like extremely like over the top, had been abused by these people. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, was, that was like a big part of the catalyst of the story. It's like the mom kept hanging on to, well, before the war, he was this like phenomenal, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And so that. I'm and sure. so they they get to Alaska. They like drive their via, VW bus up there. They drive all the way there, and then they get to this place, and it's basically like the one horse town from the westerns. Like there's <laughs> nothing there. There's no roads. It's all dirt. Um, there's like a there's, general store and a burnt out saloon, and that's it. And like a one room. Thirty schoolhouse. people. <laughs> the thirty people. Every time I thought about it, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I lived in a city of ten thousand, and it was considered such a small town. And now I'm like, "Can you imagine if you literally could like count every single person you knew, like pretty much on your hands and toes?" Right. I'm actually thinking of like being in a really small church congregation and even then there's like a hundred people and you feel like you know everybody mm -hmm. and you know everybody's dirt so i can only imagine your whole entire life is like less than half of that so they get to the cabin and it's just like filthy and gross and then they have to build it back up you meet one of the characters large marge pretty quickly i really loved marge um she runs the local store and she also is just like so helpful to the family and really takes Cora and Lenny under her wing immediately. The, my first thought was like when they were describing rehabilitating the whole homestead, that this is exactly the kind of stuff that I love to read about. And I would literally despise doing like hate it with, I would never do this in a million years. Like, build a chicken coop and uh build a greenhouse and all this stuff like no thank you this is exactly what i enjoy watching on like a fixer upper but you're a hundred <laughs> billion percent correct where i'm like if you think i'm fixing to be the one out there doing it <laughs> and when, when we were in high school did you remember this there was like a pbs show about families they took and they put them in like pioneer times and they had to homestead out on the prairie did you ever watch that no i did not i've never even heard of this it's incredible i'll have to bring it up on youtube but it's amazing and it was very formative to me at the age of like 13 <laughs> <laughs> the thought what, what what was uh what was something i thought was so interesting about the community so yeah you're right you meet meet large marge you meet mad earl and so mad earl was the father of the um man that gave what is his name Ernst the property so like you immediately start meeting all these characters but i really did love how that like sense of community so every it was really interesting when do they move in the spring i think and they said they were constantly talking about like the winter the winter the winter and they were kind of you know not really sure because like okay we've got like six months but that was really like their prep time but i love that like sense of community where they would constantly kind of come in and help them out and like you know large marge is given uh, Lenny, who loves photography and loves her like instant Polaroid camera, she'd like sneak her a little bit of um, film so, you know, she could use that or her mom was like a avid chain smoker, give her a little bit of, you know, cigarettes to kind of like, you know, help them out because they couldn't afford it. So I just, I mean, I guess that's kind of a poor example, but <laughs> <laughs> the point being they helped one another out. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have found in my life, like when you do go into these really tough situations, 
and that there's just a few people, it bonds you like nothing else. And mm-hmm. so that's something that I could totally relate to. And I could actually see that happening, that these people have to be there for one another because they don't have anybody else. And yeah, um, yeah super interesting. You also meet um, a character. What is her name? Geneva, who oh, is yeah. the mother of a main character later, Matthew. So Lenny is really excited because there's one school or there's a school in town and she loves to read. I loved this about her character. And this didn't just seem like a trope in the unhoneymooners that we just read. It kept mentioning Harry Potter and it was actually very annoying to me. It was like, (laughs) I'm so quirky. I love Harry Potter. Um, But with Lenny, she mentions like how much she loves Lord of the Rings and just fantasy novels and always has like a, you know, a book in her back pocket kind of thing. And I really believed it. And it really was very endearing about her. Um, I don't know. You have any thoughts about that? Her love of books. I wrote, well, I wrote down the very first time her and Matthew um, had a conversation. They, they started talking about Tolkien and it really was so cute to me as somebody that also loves Lord of the Rings. I'm like, wow, as like a fellow nerd that would, especially at like 13 years old, be such like a, oh my gosh, we have similar interests. Like, you know, I can, I can already imagine the little hearts in her eyes and like the, mm-hmm. the way that was going to bond them. And especially considering the school only had what, like three other children. <laughs> so, yes. Wow. Somebody my age, we, we, we like the same things just meant to be friends. Right. And it says that she's never really had any friends at all. And that she's so worried about going to school. Cause she has like a Winnie the Pooh lunchbox <laughs> and like a hideous outfit that her dad had gotten from Salvation Army. Um, but when she meets Matthew, one thing that stuck out to me is like, he's probably never had a friend his own age either, except maybe his sister, who's a little older. And so it's hilarious to me that you realize he's probably very rarely ever seen a girl his age in his entire life. So of course he's like flummoxed and like, so (laughs) into this, but it was sweet because they both kind of jump into the relationship, the friendship, I should say with both feet And all I could think of is it was so sweet because what they know about friendship, they probably learned from these books that they love. And so they don't know anything but to kind of jump in and just be themselves. And there's no like, um, yeah, there's no playing around. And most kids, I know for me, like I was so awkward around boys at the age of 13, but they're just like connected at the hip almost. I mean, I think Lenny's way more nervous about it, but Matthew's just like all in. And that was super endearing to me. I loved his little character. And it actually, what was interesting is it took me a while um, because it talks about like his mom and his dad, Geneva and Tom. And I didn't even realize, and this is, you know, kind of like we talk about like the tropes and whatnot. He's actually like the rich kid. His his grandparents, I think, were the original people on the um, or that originally had like what was it, a hundred something acres. And and he never came across as this kind of like you know, in any way, shape, or form, tried to like over, go over Lenny's head. Lenny, meanwhile, you know, it was like dirt poor. Her mom and them can't afford to hardly put food on the table. So I loved how like he just constantly had this like phenomenal little attitude like you're saying, was just like a, just a good hearted down to earth little kid. Mm-hmm. And, but I did 
I did it. I will have to say it's it's probably totally able to be seen a mile away, but I did enjoy the the dynamic. So Ernst, um, you know, it's crazy, crazy and wild as he is, can't stand the thought of Tom, the dad. And so I thought that was so interesting right away where, of course, it's like the uh, Capulets and the what's the other, Montagues or mm-hmm. where they just have this like immediate rivalry because you're like, OK, there's only one boy, only one girl. They're the same age. They have similar interests. Of course, they're going to like each other. And then the two fathers kind of can't stand one another. So I was immediately yeah. So that night they go to this community bonfire and everyone's there. And of course he, the urt just falls right in line with Mad Earl. Who's like into the world, tin foil hat kind of guy just drinking and being an idiot. Um, I did like that Mad Earl's family is like fairly normal. He's obviously mm-hmm. the liar here. Um, and the other thing that, really stuck out to me very early on was that Lenny has so much loyalty for her family and there's such like a and I totally get this there's so much sadness and darkness around the guilt that you can feel and the weight that you feel when you love somebody like a parent and they've hurt you but you can't tell anybody because you feel so loyal to them and it would feel like such a betrayal and that loyalty is really hard to break even from the outside if like if you told someone like I think she eventually tells Matthew like little things about her family and she immediately expects him to be like ew never want to talk to you again or he he overhears um Ernt insulting his own father and she's so horrified she thinks that he's never going to want to talk to her again because she has that guilt um but he he totally like doesn't care at all and i i like that over the book like you see her kind of shedding that weight a little bit at a time and it's so painful because i that's how real life is like it's really hard to get past that that was completely something that i was really that that i felt was like such like a a, a real, a real um, situation that that Chris and Hannah was writing about because it's exactly right where it's like whenever you're really, you love somebody and even though they have serious toxic traits and you, and you just don't, you're not quite at the point where you want to like cut them off and you just kind of accept it even though you know it's really not right. All of I felt like she really encapsulated all of that where it was like you know my dad beats my mom and like he's horrible and terrible and then he would do something like getting her that outfit that even though it was so ugly she knew that he had tried so hard and and whenever you know she looked and he had this crestfallen look on his face because she didn't like it so it's like you know it's like you allow the good times to kind of overshadow and kind of like okay well it's not really you know you, you do the justification it's not really that bad I felt like that was so on par with with what reality is like and you're right where it just it eventually took her you know i I mean getting out of adolescence to kind of be like wow you actually are horrible to us and you know we don't deserve this kind of thing so yeah i I thought that was such a great point i kept writing little notes and comments about that same thing down um another thing i noticed is that michael's family so he has his mom geneva and his dad are yeah uh, Matthew. Um, he has his mom, Geneva, and his dad, Tom. But they're not married anymore. They're like recently divorced, but they have like kind of a weird, close relationship. I guess they have to. Like there's no avoiding each other. Um, 
And I, I kept thinking about how Michael's family is kind of like a mirror version of Lenny. He eventually like tells Lenny that he's really afraid that his mom is going to leave their family because they're in this small space and she has a new boyfriend and they've always been really close, but she, he just, it feels so different because she doesn't live with him anymore. Um, and like, even though he has everything that she doesn't have. And like, even though he has more, and we'll get into this later, he experiences some serious physical loss. Like his mom eventually dies. It's like a, it's a clean break. Whereas she doesn't have a father, but he is there, but it's so messy. And like, she can't move on from it. Does that make sense? Like he continues to move on, even though he has this really tragic thing happen, whereas she's kind of just stuck in the mud and it's really sad to look at. With, with his situation, he was able to get out of, you know, he was kind of able to get away where that was kind of like the whole prop, not problem, but like one of me, Lenny's main things is she had no siblings. She was not close to her grandparents. You know, we talked about besides Matthew, she had no friends. So like she had no outlets or no way to like remove herself from the situation. You know what I mean? Where like Matthew at some point was able to kind of physically get away from this area and kind of really focus on himself. And then from there he had therapists and he had, you know, like resources where poor old Lenny, like, you know, nobody, including her mother. And I had such, such a problem with Cora and her character where she would constantly do things that would put Lenny uh, on the back burner. You know, it it was all for Ernst. And I had such a problem with that. It was classic. Like such manipulation too, because she, she loved her daughter, but she was just, it was like this arrested development thing with Cora, I think, because in her mind, I really think she was still, I don't know, in her teens. I mean, what's wild is in the book when it first starts, she's 30 years old. I'm 31 <laughs> years old. My oldest child is five, <laughs> like just turned five. And she's got this 13 year old. So they're way more like, I mean, yeah, like you're, you're like, right. it was like a stunted growth. It was like she quit developing at some point and, and never and she never really took on like a parental role. Like she would try to do little things to kind of mask whatever. So I, I think originally it said like, you know, Cora uh, was getting beat up by Ernst and Lenny knew about it, but she didn't physically see it. And they moved to Alaska and there's like this one bedroom, pl- you know, there's no way for her to like get away from. It. And so like she witnessed a lot more, but yeah, she just would never kind of come in and just kind of rescue her, which I just, and, and not only I should even say rescue, but even do things like if Lenny was upset by Ernst, it would, was infuriating to me where she would ask her to forgive him or she wouldn't even allow her to kind of process her own emotions because she was trying so hard to be the one to be like, Oh, it's fine. Like, you know, get over it. Like I'm fine. You're, you know, you're fine. She's such a frustrating parent. I, it was, yeah, it was was very much like, come on, baby girl. Like we're in this together. You're not going to do this to me. Are you? Because she's so devoted to her mom. Um, the, <laughs> the other note that by the way, the other note I have is so like after the bonfire, Ernst is kind of like pissed off because Cora was talking to Tom Walker too much, who it says is very handsome. I picture him like this Nordic god type man. <laughs> he has like long blonde hair, whatever. And I just wrote like these horny freaks are so nasty because. <laughs> 
like there's nothing graphic in the book around sex, but it makes it very clear that like Ernt and Cora are very sexually active. They live in a one room cabin and they have like beads on their door and they just get super drunk and are going at it. And Lenny's just like, la 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 la. Reading her little book, trying to, trying to escape. So I wrote down a quote. And it was, and I, of course, I have my phone in the other room, but it was really interesting where she, um, Lenny specifically said that her parents had such a, um, such a strange relationship where her mom was constantly trying to get her father to, to basically prove his love. So she would, that's why she would go to all these men and flirt and kind of, you know, because she wanted Ernst to in return get upset by it, I guess. And then, you know, like, and then she, I guess she later would suffer the repercussions, but she wanted to get that reaction out of him. And that so much was, yeah, it was, it's just like you said, these people are in their thirties. It's, it's really hard to think that these are, that this is like a, I don't know, a, something a 30 year old does that's been married and with this man for what, 13, 14 years, like, you know, you think you know your husband better enough that obviously they want to be with you. And obviously by doing stuff like that, you're kind of instigating. And yeah, it's really crazy. Right. So I will note that if you're looking for a book that has like its ups and downs, this is not the book for you. This book is nothing (laughs) but like her upping the stakes over and over again until it just reaches this fever pitch of doom and gloom. Like it really was kind of depressing a little bit. I, I love drama. I love sad. I can take that, but at a point it got to be a bit much. I was still cool at this point. Um, Basically, it says over and over, like, in Alaska, you can only have, you only get one mistake. The second mistake will kill you. Uh, which, if anybody's seen Grizzly Man about the guy that gets eaten by a grizzly bear, that's the one thing that I kept thinking. Tim- shout out to Timothy Treadwell. Um, but eventually, they're, like, called out in the middle of the night on the ham radio because somebody's missing. And they get there, and it's Matthew and his mom. Uh, who had gone missing on the way to their hunting lodge and when they find them you know Matthew's just like this devastated half frozen kid and his mom has fallen through the ice of a river and drowned and died um and all this happened like right in front of him which is even more like right like super dramatic uh so after that they she she knows that he needs a friend but she just doesn't know how to help him and what to do and eventually his dad is like okay you need to go and live with your aunt and uncle in Fairbanks which is like a slightly bigger city and like be with your sister who's going to college there and get some therapy and just like get better and so he leaves and so then Lenny's really left alone And they then write letters for like four years. She doesn't see Matthew, but they're writing letters the whole time and just super devoted to each other. Um, And Lenny like learns to love Alaska. She learns to hunt and she learns to shoot. Uh, I will say that was it here? I guess, I guess one of the most horrible things that sticks out to me is when her dad is like, just slowly getting worse and worse. Like when winter does hit, he 
I guess we'll start there. Like when winter does hit and there's just almost no daylight, he gets really bad. And this is when she first sees this abuse like right in front of her and him just losing his mind and beating the crap out of her mom and like waking them up in the middle of the night to like uh, put a gun together and take it apart or he teaches her how to shoot and like she almost you know cracks her eye socket or something and he has no sympathy for her and uh remember when she had to eat the heart the beating heart of a hare <laughs> no i don't remember that well that, that definitely that happened <laughs> it definitely happened oh that's what i was going to bring up um next was all this stuff so it it talks about mad earl and mad earl is really interesting she talks or lenny mentions how her dad was always kind of like a weird man but he really wasn't like this like anti-government figure and conspiracy theorist and like really into the you know being a, a man in the outdoors until he moved to alaska until he kind of uh i guess aligned himself or himself with the thought process of somebody like mad earl so i thought like how interesting if he had of you know let's say been a little bit more like tom walker and or you know what i mean like been able to kind of uh align himself with somebody a little bit different but yeah he like slowly sinks more and more into like pure insanity and i thought that was really interesting too how they brought up how the darkness and um, and the lack of being able to pretty much like leave your home for what, like months on end, like how that has such a profound effect on him uh, to the point that eventually um, as the story progresses, he, I'm trying to, I can't remember what even, what even got it started, but like he beats Cora. And I think does Lenny maybe get beat this time. There's a time. No, he he never, not really beat, he, but like hit. I, I want to say this is the time where he grabs Lenny and just like locks her out of the house oh, while he beats yes. up Cora. I think you're right because I also was like, wow, that also in itself is such a terrible thing because it's, you know, Alaska in the middle of the winter and it's dark and there's bears and wolves and <laughs> all other kind of animals. Right. I think this is when um, he is all upset about something and goes drinking and leaves them oh, alone. Wow. And there's wolves on the property. And then anyway, like they get this fight killed. Yeah. And then they try and is this when they try and leave him the first time? Yeah. Yes. Look there's at so much going on <laughs> there, in this book. Yes. This this book is it's there's so much going on yet. It's kind of hard to break it down. But yeah, so I'm pretty sure this is whenever uh he goes out drinking. They uh, the mom somehow goes to large Marge and Tom and then they find out that they have the, you know all their livestock's killed. And so basically like how are they kind of going to get through the winter? And then Tom goes and really embarrasses um Earned and basically it's like you're an idiot um you're out here drinking meanwhile you left your you know your wife and child uh at home alone and then yeah that's whenever Ernt beats um i think they jump in the truck they get into a wreck right. uh, wreck their vehicle and then yeah so Laura's arm is like her bone is like sticking out of the skin. Lenny has to go to the walkers and ask for help. And then they all go to the hospital and her mom finally is like, it's okay. Like he, uh, he's never coming back. Like blah, blah, blah. And then the dad like basically shows up at the hospital and she totally takes him back. And has not even like two seconds to say like, no. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I, the community intervenes right whenever large marge and tom is like okay enough's enough yeah so they come to their house and they're basically like okay you can't do this anymore we may kill you like legit we've talked about just <laughs> murdering you um but you're gonna get a job on the alaska pipeline which i mean i i get why he didn't want to do this before but they are so broke at this point like they can't even buy rice like this they have like almost an obvious food. choice i i, I know I agree. i'm like what the heck like why would you not be doing this instead you're at home starving <laughs> your family <laughs> yes and like they even talk about one time um them sharing a meal and it's like two slices of spam <laughs> like this, what and this, this is, is real grown people it's like mm -hmm. oh. no i thought that was i really actually enjoyed that um and i think this right here is where it skips forward what three to four years and so yeah. and it kind of talks about like how that was like such or it brought so much normalcy about in the home cora and er ugh, Cora and Lenny have always been close, but whenever he's not there, like how they can live so much differently. So it even talks about like how they have friends casually come over, uh, Mad Earl's daughter, Thelma, and then large Marge and Tom and like, you know, how they just have almost regular lives when he's not there and how they just dread him coming home. And then of course, shortly afterwards, he loses his job and has to come home. <laughs> right. And this is where, I mean, again, when I say it's like a little bit formulaic, it's like, what really is wrong with Cora? Because now she has all of these months where she does see that she can live without him. You know, like they are, they're, they're thriving without him. And yet, and she knows that it's going to be terrible when he comes back and she still doesn't want to leave him. That's where I'm just like, I, there's almost nothing good about this man anymore. He's just terrible. He, she just hangs on to who the, who he once was. I, I think the only thing I can kind of think is like, she's just associated so much guilt with it where it's like, okay, you know, I'm leaving him and he needs help and he needs us. And like, we keep him a little more grounded, but yeah, I agree. It really, it, it's a, it's a very far stretch for me to think that, where I'm definitely like, oh, you're right. Like, you know, mm -hmm. he's not really providing all that much. I guess he is providing money at this point, but <laughs> still. Well, and when I said like, you're either good or you're really bad in this book, that's kind of how I see Lenny. Like, she's so good the whole time. It mm -hmm. takes her so long to do anything outrightly disrespectful or even i mean even stepping a toe out of line with her parents which i understand that she's an only child and this is all she knows so that does make a sense make sense to an extent but she's also pretty you know capable and headstrong in her own way so i'm just like I, I, why are you never speaking up before i kind of got it because i kind of feel like i have especially as a kid and a, a young adult that kind of like moralist kind of complex or where it's like you really want like I really wanted my parents and people around me to like think positively of me and like I, I've never been like until I got a little bit older maybe more outspoken you know like maybe I was talkative but maybe not like you know gonna like up and stand up for what's right kind of you know not that you don't want to be like that but that just really wasn't as much of me so I kind of I could get that but at the same time like and I, I had thought exactly what she was or how Chris and Hannah wrote it where she was harboring all these like terrible feelings where she would like you know I want to I want to stand up to my dad or like you know she'd want to do things that would really like um 
positively impact her family, but she just found it really difficult. I, I, to me, that made total sense. And then, you know, as she, I think maybe whenever she was 17, like, and she started to do more, I was like, okay, to me, that felt so on par with like my own life where it's like, eventually get to that kind of point, kind of grow into it. I don't know. I, I accepted that. It felt very. No, awful. you're making a good point because I'm now realizing like, even if it is formulaic, it's formulaic for a reason because this is not, I mean, this story goes way far out there in the end, but the, the basic bones of it, like this stuff happens all the time. Like battered women, this happens all the time where people don't leave their spouse until they get killed or, you know what I mean? Or, yeah, or some very their children in or whatever. Right. So, I mean, yeah, maybe it's more realistic than formulaic, but anyway, eventually, for, like you said, four years go by and Matthew decides to come home. Um, well, I was going to say what well, I love so much. We mentioned them writing the letters, but it also continually talked about how much they both desperately relied on those letters to kind of get um, past both of like their internal trauma without necessarily directly writing and saying like, I am struggling so much, you know, like the, they both kind of like intuitively knew it. And like, I, I just found that like the, the support that they would offer one another through letters. And especially me, somebody that loves getting like a handwritten letter. I'm like, that is so, I could totally see this happening. I love their relationship so much as friends. They were just so just pure sweet together. I couldn't hardly stand it. I agree. And it is kind of funny to me because um, there's a line later after Matthew gets back where Lenny's like, she just felt like she fell in love all at once. Like, how could this just hit her like a ton of bricks? When I'm like, girl, you've been falling in love for <laughs> six years or whatever, five years. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I like I have experience of so me and my husband were like really good friends before we started dating. And then we wrote a long time because he went on a mission for our church. And it is such a fun way to get to know somebody and just to really like dig into their personality and you know really quickly if you jive with somebody if you actually look forward to their letters because it's not just right. a bunch of junk like you, know, you can't do small talk or whatever but um I loved that too and yeah she but she's so clueless like she was so clueless it's like come on girl you would not be doing all this for nothing Okay, so I'm trying to think. So, yeah, so he moves home, and a big part of it is that he wants to spend time with Lenny. He's, uh, they, they're going to graduate, and I think, well, what, like six months' time or something. And so, uh, the, yeah, they re rekindled their friendship in person and then eventually grew into a little bit more. And then, what was so, of course, this like main cons or thing that kept coming on, it was like, okay, but remember, Ernt hates his father like he doesn't yeah. dislike him he actively despises him and this is uh, i think around the time that tom he wants to revitalize re, i say revitalize it's not even revitalize and it's really like build up the city i guess because at this point oh, yeah. basically nothing he wants to put in like a little what like a little um like an inn right, and then fix up their saloon which is apparently like really really grimy and just kind of you know bring a little bit of money in the, um, you know, warm months and aren't immediately, you know, he's, he's throwing down that gavel where he, he like, thinks he has to say anything. <laughs> I, it, it is so funny because Tom has lived there his entire life for generations, mm -hmm. which, which 
uh, earned skews as that he's like born rich, born with a silver spoon in his mouth. It's like, okay, you he's still live hard, son. Right. And he still lives in rural Alaska with no electricity. So what kind of silver? And meanwhile, like his own wife was born to a bunch of money. And actually their first little bit of a trip was like unbeknownst to him uh, funded by that money that she got from her parents. But anyway, I did think it was. Oh, and at this point, he also like gets more and more radical with uh, the people at. Uh, mad earl's camp like he wants to like build oh my God. uh he put in like um what are those called the bombs in the ground the oh like, grenade landmines land let's do like landmines oh wait grenades what you throw <laughs> build a wall. <laughs> well he makes them out of a grenade he like wants to he's like holds a grenade takes the pin out puts it in a jar and closes it and somehow that like stops it from going off and he wants to bury these all around so he's just like losing his mind and every single person in the community except mad earl who nobody really listens to anyway thinks he's crazy they're like no we actually would like to have jobs and money and and right it would make our lives better and just because he had like a a personal vendetta against him didn't really you know justify in any way not doing this. But what I also liked and appreciate about Mad Earl, whenever his daughter really kind of like stood up to him, even he wasn't like sucked into the lunacy. He was immediately like, yeah, actually, aren't sorry, but this is good for us. You know, we need the well, job. Totally. Because Mad Earl may have had uh, some weird beliefs, but at the end of the day, he loved his family right. and he wanted the best for them he wanted them to survive which they had yeah. to have money to do yeah mm -hmm. Ernst was so he he definitely went to a point that was beyond what i what i could have handled as somebody in my family that you had to actually interact with way too much he was way oh my gosh yes um on the flip side, Lenny and Matthew kind of like sneak around and meet up with each other. I thought it was very interesting that they're like, they hold hands, but there's nothing physical there at all. And they're literally like talking about marriage and having kids before they even kiss. Um, That's, that was interesting. They just have such a strong relationship. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give them, I'll give them that. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And then once, but once they are physical with one another and they kiss each other, it just like lights this yeah. fire where they're just obsessed. And Lenny is really dreading the end of school because that's when she sees Matthew. Like there's only five or so kids in the whole um, school. So she gets to spend plenty of time with him. And she knows that as soon as it, this ends, like they're really going to have to sneak around. And so her and Matthew kind of make plans. Matthew gets into the university of Anchorage and like really wants Lenny to go. And Lenny ends up getting in. And so she's like, okay, if I could just make it to the end of the summer, I can go to Anchorage and like, we can be together, but she can barely stay away from him. Right. That to me also as being like a, you know, uh, a teenager at once in my life, I'm like, that totally makes sense where it's like, when you really feel like you love and are crazy about somebody, it's like this, like insane, it's like you're a magnet with one another. And that was really interesting how they specifically wrote it where they had very few opportunities to get together after the, um, 
uh, after school let out. But at the same time, they would try so desperately just to kind of get, you know, like a, a couple hours with one another, uh, which which her mom, of course, at the meantime, was like, OK, you need to be smart about this. You need to, you know, you need to be wise. And as an adult, I'm reading this like, oh, she's totally right. But then I'm thinking like, yeah, but as a teenager, you think like, oh, well, I am being smart, even if right. you're really not. Well, and the, like because they're teenagers, because they're in love, and specifically because Lenny had never, never in her life had something even close to this. Not even like she doesn't even have like the pure love of a parent, really, <laughs> because even her mother, who's like her most special person in the world, is still willing to live with a wolf, not even in sheep's clothing, just a straight up horrible wolf and basically subject Lenny to that her entire life so it's like she's never had someone that cares about her like that and it must feel like crack cocaine to be around this and I mean hormones alone feel like crack cocaine so I could totally buy that there was like a really uh honestly that scene where her parents go into town for the day and she immediately is like "Ooh, Matthew's coming over <laughs> like I'm gonna put on my cute dress like la-di-da and they have a picnic and then they end up like back at um her house because it rains and it's like so romantic I I don't maybe she meant this to happen but I could barely even enjoy reading all of that because I was so keyed up just waiting for them to get caught like right I knew there was no way they were not going to get caught so I'm just like Ooh, like white knuckling it I 100% agreed and sure enough it happened <laughs> <laughs> it was predictable but at the same time I'm like for this kind of a book it's got to be and and i mean also i thought like okay that's that also makes sense to me as far as like with teenagers you're, you're really not very smart you really do yep. some like poor choices and yep. you know you don't think it through. well and this also in a different way painted how like prideful and dumb Ernst really is like if he does like he knows that they're involved in some way and yet he has the he's just an idiot if he thinks that she's not going to completely run over there because in his mind he's justified that everything he's doing and all of his hatred toward and vitriol towards tom walker is for the good of his family and he really is a he's the only one looking out for them and the, and they love him and they'll never cross him and blah 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 um where it's like what do you think she's gonna do and then even whenever he comes back like they don't get caught and that was kind of crazy to me. But then when I think about it, I'm like, he's suspicious of Cora, but he sees Lenny as this like little girl. Mm -hmm. So like he, he can't imagine anyone outsmarting him because he's the best and he's this like egomaniac. Absolutely. And uh, I'm trying to remember which, which, at what part is it? <laughs> I need my summary. At what part is it that, um, Lenny ends up having to be defended or Matthew comes in to defend Lenny. Where, where oh, is, this, yeah. is this at that same point? Cause I want to talk about that. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. I'm trying to remember for anybody that is listening. And if you haven't read the book, there is so much plot. Okay. Yes. Well, I will just say at one point, Ernst does something towards Lenny that Matthew basically has to come and like rescue her. And he, literally does come in and I, I'm trying to what's going on 
<laughs> Art makes me so sick because he pretty much backs down to Matthew, who is a teenager. And he immediately, every time Tom Walker comes at him, he backs down. And at the compound, eventually, when they shut him down for wanting to do all this stuff, he backs down and then he comes home and he takes it out on the weakest possible person he can dominate. It's like so gross. Like he is such a little weakling. He never punches up. He always punches down and it just speaks to his character. Um, we're, we're running low on time. So we'll skip ahead and say um, eventually, oh man, how does this even okay. begin? So so Cora and Lenny officially decide to leave. Yes. Um, Matthew comes in and oh, Cora we decides. Should say, at some point after school ends, Ernt completely goes off the rails and builds a huge wall around their entire homestead and will not let them leave the property without him. Like he cuts them off for the world completely. That's what they think is going to happen. Cora still wants her to go to college. And so they decide they're going to like run off together. Okay. And right. Lenny also is very, wants Cora to go specifically because she's like, okay, he's just going to kill you one day. So yeah. you need to do this. Right. So this is where Matthew comes in. Um, Cora asks to go to large Marge. Large Marge has been like a true and faithful friend. And she says, please take Lenny somewhere and y'all go hide. And I think they said what, like 48 hours, they were going to kind of come back and they were going to all leave uh, and basically head off and start a new life. Yeah. So during this process, Lenny and Matthew are so close and, you know, but at one point she, uh, Lenny kind of feels so guilty about leaving Cora behind. So they decide to go get her. Can I say wow. something really quick? Oh yeah. Yeah. Before, so she leaves her mom at large Marge's house and then they go off into like the rural woods and they even stop at his ranch to grab some stuff. And she's like, why are we staying here? He can find us here. But I just kept thinking, why are you not staying at the Walker Ranch? Right. It doesn't matter if he can find you there. There's plenty of people there that can protect you. Like, what? This is, again, dumb, so into fear. dumb teenagers being like, oh, let's just go camping in the wild when we could, you know, they don't check the weather. They don't check right. anything. They just drive off into the, and they don't tell his dad where they're going it's just crazy i'm like you should have just there, stayed yeah. there there's definitely not a whole lot of um thinking going on and it's 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 your right you are right it's like they're running on adrenaline and so yeah, yeah so they go and they stay and i think it's like the next morning and then they fall into this like uh, trying to come down lenny falls into a crevice yeah, basically, but you know, wedge putting a couple rocks in this big space. Matthew goes down. This really, this was this is where the story lost me. Honestly, I was kind of over it. I was oh, like, see, this, this is right, not for me anymore. <laughs> it, this was the, okay. I had the exact opposite effect because at this point, Matthew goes in to get her, and in the mean, or and he actually ends up getting more injured than she does. Uh, two days or a day or two day or two later, they're basically rescued by like a little helicopter. Helicopter comes in, rescues them, and Lenny basically has some like flesh wounds. It kind of seems like, and then the, she finds out that Matthew has some really serious wounds, possibly brain damage. She's not really sure, and then of course she finds out she's pregnant. Yeah, so. <laughs> he's like in the ICU with a TBI and she finds out she's pregnant. She goes home and 
her mother assures her that her dad is in jail and he can't get them so it's safe to go home and like they get home and he's there and he's like making a roast or something like welcome home girls it's everything's okay and she can't even contain herself and she just like blurts out like i'm pregnant and he loses his mind Ernt does and beats the living crap it this was so like hard to read where he literally takes off his belt and like whips her in the face with it and like crushes her cheekbone all this horrible stuff um and this is the one plot point in the whole thing that i did not see coming in the middle of him beating the crap out of lenny she hears a gunshot and cora has shot uh Ernt and says like not my lenny and i was like yes thank you finally I'm um, so glad she exactly like you said she finally came to the rescue because the whole time I kept waiting for that to happen so it was really nice and I agree I was really shocked I thought that it was trying to say that Lenny shot him and so it took yeah. me a second to be like Cora yeah <laughs> really? I thought I I'm like okay they're not gonna kill Lenny because she just like escaped the jaws of death but I thought maybe Tom Walker would walk in or somebody mm -hmm. or Large Marge or something but no Cora kills him and immediately they're again not thinking clearly running through all these options like i can't turn myself in they'll send me to jail like blah 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 i shot it they kept saying like i shot him in the back and i guess this is where the knowledge of the 70s versus uh 2020 comes in right. where battered women are protected a little bit more but she basically says like she has no defense because she's shot him in the back even though her daughter's clearly there like hanging completely has been beaten to a pulp and so they decide to take him out on like to a remote lake and basically cut a hole in the ice and sink his body and cover it up so i i th that was hard for me to understand but now i did appreciate how later in the book she actually um chris and hannah wrote some specific cases in that kind of like proved like oh this was kind of like a turning point in like battered women being protected and so i guess like it's it was really hard for me to believe that wow like i could you know kill somebody that is about to kill my child and then i'm still going to be held accountable so that was really hard for me to relate right. to. i think you're right it's probably just like the 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 time and age that this was written in but that was super hard but what was even more um, more stressful for me was knowing that she was fixing to have to start afresh yes <laughs> and specifically leaving matthew behind even though at this point we've uh, they i think they had found out that matthew yeah. had some very serious problems where he wasn't able he wasn't communicating he was able to walk i mean he was in a I think it was something he was in like a coma, like a yeah, medically he was, coma. I mean, he was in a coma serious. for months. And then right before she finds out she's pregnant, she finally got to go and see him in like a, um, a facility um, in Homer, which is like the next closest town to where she lives. And he's just like, he can't communicate. He's like screaming. He's got a halo on and like bolts in his head and just horrific brain damage. And so, she's gutted because of that and then she feels so guilty anyway they end up calling large marge and she helps them yet again uh after they ditch the body and she's basically like y'all need to go and leave and we're gonna pretend that set up the scene so that it looks like Ernt killed both of you and then went off into the woods and then you're never seen again so 
they end up back in Seattle. They escape um, with nothing but the clothes on their back. And they go and they move in with Cora's parents and they take them back. That to me was, that was like shocking to me that I'm like, okay, wait, you want to start afresh. You're going to pretend to be dead, but yet you're going to move to a city that you used (laughs) to live in where people would know you, they'd know your name. And then you move in with your parents. Yeah. It was was weird. I mean, even then, I guess Seattle would have been pretty big. And she hadn't lived with her parents for so long. Like she moved out as a 16 year old. But at the beginning of the book, they lived in Seattle. So they lived as adults also. Right. That was a little strange. I guess this is why it lost me a little bit. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, they didn't have to go this hard. They didn't have to go this hard. Like it just, it got a little crazy to me. And it also just seemed like um like she was just throwing stuff in to hurt us just to hurt us i don't know (laughs) like salt in the wound over and over again what a good positive thing was at one point they find uh or she get or she's gifted matthew's birthday uh gift to her which was like a little a letter from her or from his grandma basically in like written i guess like their little like maybe whatever the local tribune or whatever uh and it, writing about her life and her name was lily and so this whole time she's pregnant she's like okay little lily like my daughter blah 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 and then she has this baby it's a little boy like to have killed me matthew jr i was a little mj matthew denali walker which i was like oh, that's actually such a great name but here or there <laughs> so I can't remember where I was going with this, but yeah, so the baby's born. Oh, and I thought this was really fascinating too, how it kept talking about how Lenny's still writing to Matthew. She's not sending the letters off because obviously she's supposed to be dead. She's trying to keep this, you know, alias, but she's still writing him because it's such a, like a, a wonderful form of therapy for her. And yeah, the, whole, the whole time I was reading that, I kept thinking like, oh, I hope that she gets to see him so he can read these letters. That really made me so sad. And I, I, you might be able to hear my child who's just snuck out of a room, by the way. <laughs> it's only close to 10 p.m. Um, she's been trying to get my attention for like half an hour. <laughs> Wait, which child are we referring to? The eldest or the middle? Echo, this is Echo Marie Alexander. <laughs> Lorelai has not uh, figured out. She can get out of her room. But she hasn't figured out like that's actually an option to like leave in the middle of the night. So. A lesson. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying. Okay. Thank you, Echo. <laughs> well, oh. we're at the very end of the book. Yes. The last two chapters. So eventually, Cora, again, they're just laying it on thick. Cora gets lung cancer. Now, this is like, what, seven years after, maybe six, seven years. Yes. It's been, I think it's been six years because he's not that old. I think he's in first grade the little boy is she's graduated from college which is great she is living under an assumed identity um they have like a good relationship with her grandparents which is nice and she has family but her mom gets lung cancer and then on her deathbed is like take this letter it's a confession and go back like i stole your life from you which she totally did but you need to like be able to live the way you want to and court and you know lenny's 
just pined for Alaska this whole time and felt so bad for what she did with to Matthew and blah, blah, blah. So she decides to do it and like take this letter and give it to the police so that hopefully her name can be cleared. And this is the part where I'm like, Lenny, you are such a dumb, dumb. Look, what? every single person leading up to this had been like never say you were involved in this only just give them the letter don't even speak and when she gives the police chief but not only that kippen they specifically said don't do this they said don't even try (laughs) and if you do this is the number one way to screw it up and then she did just that basically she gives the letter to the police chief he goes Hmm. You're telling me that your mama did this all by herself. Hmm. This sounds suspicious. You're a good girl, Lenny. Why don't you just come clean? We both know. It's like sweet talks her for about two minutes and she just spills her guts and tells him that she helped dispose of the body, all this stuff even goes as far to write it down in detail her grandpa was a dadgum attorney she wasn't gonna ask for an attorney that's what i was like hey you are so dumb and and again that's why i'm like you just threw this in here to like flex or something i don't know weird flex but okay I, I, I mean, I understood part of it where I'm like, okay, whenever it specifically wrote about how she really wanted basically like an atonement kind of, you know, she wanted to kind of be washed to this, this, what she felt like was a sin, but I'm like, chick. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it, but also have an attorney there. Just, just give the letter or, you know, maybe, maybe tell this to Tom Walker or large Marge, your closest friends, right. but maybe not the, you know, the man that would prosecute you and would arrest you. And of course, totally. Two seconds later, she's arrested with her little son and she's put in jail. Yeah. So she calls Tom Walker. He comes. He realizes he has a grandson, takes MJ for her. And long story short, they haul her into court. Large Marge appears because she was also a attorney in another life and is like trying to throw down for her. Um, But even more so. Uh, one of the like the old digs that Ernst used to use against the against the walkers is that they were like in bed with the governor, like rubbing elbows with the governor. And they, that's why they think they're all high and mighty. Well, it seems that that was actually true because the governor of Alaska himself calls the court and makes them throw out the case. So it's just like, oh, OK. And so she's free and she goes back to the Walker homestead. Uh, I will say I could understand that though because I'm like it's Alaska. There's not like a huge court system. It's the 70s, and I can sort of see you know just all in a little bit of palms here and there. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> no, totally. And it was just hard for me to believe that 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 like police chief would have worked that hard to entrap Lenny in the first place. Like, right. I don't know. That seems a little low down and kind of out of character for the kind of wild wild west like they were pretty used to people going missing and they were pretty used to people like open cases you know so that was kind of weird to me it's like why does he have such what does he have to prove here it's i mean yeah she tried to justify it by saying he was by the book but even more important than all this stuff is that we know that matthew is somewhere and so she's you know interested to go or really won't This was another thing. She really wants to see him. But it's not out of like a guilt and obligation, but it's because she still 
is thinking of this young Matthew that she's loved since she's been like a little kid. And like, she just wants to kind of be close to him and she wants to introduce him to his son. And even though she's, you know, at this point, she's not sure what kind of like what his mental state or physical state is. She just wants to be able to like be there for him. I was okay. We've mentioned I'm pregnant. I am <laughs> at the very, very end of my pregnancy. I will not lie to you. This, the the last like chapter of this book, I was sobbing, Kippen. Graham came upstairs <laughs> to talk to me and he was literally like, what's wrong? What, what's going on? And it was because I could not catch my breath to tell him that I'm crying over a fictional character. <laughs> so basically she thinks, because whenever she last saw Matthew, he was severely disabled, like not anything like himself and when she meets him again he is still rather disabled but he's made a almost a full recovery is what i would call it there is someone in my own family who has suffered a tbi and it's was very severe so that's why this kind of gave me a bad taste in my mouth as just like this plot point because i really feel like what she was describing is so unrealistic. Uh, and so I went back and forth on that because I thought the same thing. He was almost written too dram or uh, as it was too dramatic at the beginning yeah. for the amount of a recovery. He was eventually able to read. Right. He could communicate pretty well. He could walk mm -hmm. a little. So I agree. It was. It, it should have made at least small progressions at the beginning. And as he was obviously person. living on his own. He lived in his mother's right. old house on their homestead. Right. Which, of course, none of this she knew. So when she kind of goes in, she's basically, you know, has just a, a really low expectations. And she, they're actually able to communicate. What killed me, and this is what one of the parts that made me sob so hard, was whenever, um, you know, he, well, he had... He had you know, develop this awesome uh, talent for painting. And he taught or and he kind of during his chapter it would kind of go into his mind and it would talk about like how he used the thought of her to kind of like push him forward on all these hard things. And at some point she mentions a him and he assumes it's like, you know, another man in her life. And he just he just kind of like pushes her away and is basically like, please leave. And then whenever she turns around and says, son, you know, that we have a son. And then he talks about like how in his mind he kind of like jumbles up words and meanings. And and so then he gets even more frustrated. But then she goes back and reassures him. And she's like, no, we have a son. That was like the moment that I was literally like, I, it was just like, I could have like died and gone to heaven right there where I was like, oh my gosh, like this is exactly the kind of ending that I want where it's like finally a character that has went through so much like literal crap in her life. And then she's finally, you know, able to like do, or I don't know, have a little bit of like joy in her life. And same with him where they've both been through so much terrible and traumatic things. And then they had this like a son that just pure bonds them. Oh, I love that part so much. This is where I was like, I just felt like a little bit of a Debbie Downer because you have, oh, I just couldn't help but see the parallels in her mother who had loved a man who is one way, 
who went away from him for six years and then he came back a shell of himself and who was so broken and so violent. And it never says that Matthew is violent, but Tom mentions that like his life is very hard and very different. And then that she would then grow up like it makes sense that she would kind of have the same similar um, caretaker role is what right as her mom. But I also like it's it's also well documented that if you have brain damage, you like are more likely to have a temper, like you're more likely to have mood swings. And so it was just hard for me. I'm like, I really wish that the author had just like left Matthew in a coma that he had never woken up. And then that would have made like a more full recovery, more, um, believable to me where I want to believe they lived happily ever after but I'm kind of like what is I really wonder what the I guess it was happy like at the very end it kind of has this long flashback where or flash forward where she's you know become this great uh, photographer in Alaska and that she's had more children it mentions that um so obviously she has a happy life, but it was a little hard for me after a book of nothing but like one heartache after the other to really believe that it all just turns out hunky dory. But, you know, Lenny is a pretty hopeful, optimistic person. So I guess I should be too about her life. And it, she's at least satisfied with whatever she gets because she truly loves Matthew. And Matthew, it, it also, she writes about like, there's there is no other person in her life between whenever uh matthew has the accident till she meets matthew like she she doesn't have a boyfriend she doesn't i mean there's not not even a friend that doesn't really kind of say like she's she's a total loner and like she really like you said she's really loyal to the people that she's you know loves and cares for and she doesn't really seem to kind of go outside that i wrote down the same thought where it was like wow like the parallel between her life and cora's but Mm -hmm. also it, she, it was definitely at the very end in that, um, the well, basically like epilogue, like how Matthew and her did have like a happy life. And, and I also kind of thought like after putting up with Ernst, like surely, surely right. she couldn't put up with something like this. Like, you know, she, she actually was a lot more sane than her mother. So I could see her actually leaving on behalf of her children if she, you know, if it would have kind of been like that kind of a laugh. So, right. And honestly, I loved it together so much. <laughs> the fact that Ernst Im- at, at 25 impregnated a 16 year old and basically forced her to leave her family anyway, that tells me he was rotten to the core anyway. Like, there was just never really much there. So, Matthew was a genuinely good, strong person. So, you know, here's hoping. But, Anyway, you guys should read this book or listen to it. We both listened to the audiobook this time. I and love the, uh, the narrator. What did you think? I, I thought she was really great. And I, too, have definitely listened to something else that she's done. And now, and I don't know what it was. I, you know, I, I thought of what it was earlier. Now I forgot because <laughs> I'll go back and look. But I definitely have heard, of, heard her. She did all, all the accents. I, she differentiated them so well. I I was, yeah, mm-hmm. great. You know, it always takes me like a beat to get into the mode with an audiobook where I like accept what's going on and then I actually really loved it. So um would recommend the audiobook version. It's pretty long. Um but yeah, totally worth it. And this is definitely one that I feel like you could give to your grandma, to your mom, to your daughter, and 
even though it's very sad, you could <laughs> feel good about it. This was my like top recommendation for my mother. <laughs> I immediately was like, you must listen. I think this book is so great. Kristen Hanna is a super talented author. She also writes um, The Nightingale, which I'm really at some point wanting us to do. But I will say it's written like this one where it's, there's a lot going on. So you have to be really well invested. But she's a very... I, I don't know. I think she's an awesome author. She she will put a lot of stuff in a story. <laughs> okay, this be along for the ride. This narrator actually narrated edu educated, which you listened to, and I read. Oh no, that, I read it. Remember, oh, I got it. Okay, well she she narrated educated, oh. which is interesting because there's a lot of parallels in those two books. Let me tell you something that's ironic. I pulled up good books, um, and so it said good books, books that are similar to The Great Alone, Cersei, Educated, <laughs> Where the Crawl Dads Sing. Interesting. Maybe we have a type here. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense though, because you have like these strong female right. characters. You have people that are very isolated, loners, people that are injured. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they got us. They got us. All um, right. Read. Yes. I'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.